We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Very glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnecker. I am your host. And today we are going to share with you two interviews uh, from the past. We've taken two interviews and put them together today uh, that really deal with this idea or this understanding of an ever-changing culture culture. Culture has changed so much and continues to do so. And in the process of that, many of the areas of culture that we once considered established, (laughs) established authorities, established practices, established beliefs, those are also changing. As culture changes, as cultural views of the world change, so changes many of the ways that we interact with each other and interact with the people around us. Today, the interviews that you will hear are interviews with, first of all, Brandon Tatum. Brandon Tatum is um, a former police officer. He is a uh, political commentator, uh, does a lot of work writing and speaking on issues related to culture. And in the interview that you are about to hear, talks about policing in America, how policing has changed, how our relationship with police officers has changed, and it certainly has Uh, So many fascinating areas that we once said, this is what we believe as Americans, are now being questioned, things are changing, and how should we view that? That is the first part of this interview that you'll hear with Brandon Tatum. The second part uh, is with uh, Alan West. Alan West has been on this show many times before, a friend, uh, personally a friend of the Mighty Oaks Foundation and a friend of this show. But we'll be talking about our debates over history. Culture is changing, and so even how we view history has changed. And Alan West, uh, someone who knows history, understands it and really understands in an important way the impact of our evolving views, how that will impact our future. We have the opportunity to talk about that as well. This is the show where we do our very best, as I mentioned, to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate this culture. Here are two men speaking to exactly that, and I trust that you will find this interview very helpful. So please enjoy these interviews today with Brandon Tatum and Alan West. Welcome to the Situation Report, where we do our very best every week to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnecker. I'm here with Chad Robichaux, and so glad to have you join us today. There is a well-known video of Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, and he's talking about various things, and he makes a statement that in any crisis situation, he always gives the encouragement. In fact, I think he says it came from his mom to him, and he continues to give the encouragement to look for the helpers. When things are out of control, when there's chaos, when there's violence, when there's confusion, look for the helpers. It's a great quote, and it's a great interview. At the end of it, he says this. He says, if you look for the helpers, you know that there is hope. If you look for the helpers, you know that there is hope. What a great statement. 
And is it any wonder that in our current cultural environment, we're struggling with hope? <laughs> in so many ways, we have made the helpers the enemy. Those men and women in uniform in all areas of our first responder community, the helpers, uh, we've really pitted them against culture, and we're in a very difficult day. Uh, Chad, I know that you served as a police officer and organizationally in the Mighty Oaks Foundation, we do our best to serve those in the first responder community. But this is a crazy time to be in uh, in that community. And God bless police officers. Yeah. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, you know, this is a time right now where I just play, pray, you know, of, of the, all the things I pray for, I pray that God just blesses the, the police officers, the peacemakers, uh, protects them, keeps them safe, keeps them motivated. Yeah despite everything that's said against them, the mainstream media, political pundits who are positioning themselves for political favor to attack our police officers, defund our police officers, love police officers or hate police officers. Everybody needs police officers. Right. <laughs> I, I'm really kind of, I probably shouldn't love it, but I'm loving these videos where these people are out there protesting the police and then something happens to them. Like they get punched in the face by somebody <laughs> that they're, they're antagonizing. And the first thing to do is somebody call the police. Call the police, right. Call the police. I mean, um, you know, this, these police officers, the same people who are ambushing them, threatening to kill them, spitting in their face, these police officers will run into a fire. They're yep. running a gunfire. Yep. They're running into anything uh, that puts their life in danger to save the very people that are uh, that are going after them. And that just says something about who they are mm. and why we need to support them despite the few, the very few bad ones they are, because they, of course they are. Uh, we need to support them. We need to stand up for them and we need to be praying for them uh, because they're in a difficult time right now uh, in 2020. And, and I think moving ahead. Yeah, uh, it, it's a crazy, crazy time. And thankfully, we have a wonderful guest on with us today who's going to help break some of this down. We have with us today the great Brandon Tatum. Uh, I was telling Brandon just a minute ago when I told my son that Brandon was coming on the show. Uh, for one split second, I was a hero to him. So, <laughs> so I'll take whatever I can get. And uh, so stoked to have Brandon with us. He is the founder of the Tatum Report on TatumReport.com, former Tucson police officer and co-founder of Blexit. And uh, Brandon, one thing I, I love about how you describe what you do on your website, you give political commentary, but you also give direction. It's the question of what do we do about it? And uh, I love that. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. It's, it's an honor to have you with us. Yeah, my pleasure. And tell your son I say hello. I'll do it. Awesome. It, Brandon, uh, you know, I was a police officer in New Orleans in the late 90s. And uh, and I look at policing today and I'm like, man, you know, it's so different from when I when I was a police officer. And uh, and I'm sure it's different from when you were a police officer. Police officers today just have so many tremendous challenges uh, across the country right now. Can you just give us a general overview of the state of policing in the United States and in 2020? Yeah, I, I left policing in 2017, and, and I can tell you right now in 2020, it seems to be incredibly uh, more difficult, more strenuous, more hated, uh, and it's a sad state of affairs for law enforcement in America. Now, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, there's there's not not every city 
around the country is treating their police officers poorly. There are cities in Houston and, and other areas of the country that they love law enforcement and they refuse to bash yeah. their police, defund their police and different things like that. But when you speak in, speak about policing in general, it's a very sad day. You know, people are, they're getting defunded. People actually hate the police. They're getting ambushed. They don't have the support they need. They could, they actually go out and do things according to the law, use of force according to the law, and they go to jail. I, I mean, it, it is yeah. it is becoming catastrophic. And one thing that, that comes to my mind when I think of law enforcement in America, it makes me reflect, you know, uh, uh, back to when I was patrolling, you know, I, I just really want to uh, use my platform as an opportunity to encourage those who are in law enforcement right now going through this to remember why they put on the badge. Remember mm -hmm. that it's more than a job, it's a calling. So hopefully we can, uh, with the badge, we can promote uh, some positive for police in America. We uh, we see everything that's going on with police officers on the news. So we, we see that from afar and uh, the violence and all of the things that are involved in that. Uh, one thing we often miss is the impact to the mental health and the relationships of those police officers um, with their families, um, you know, the relationships with their jobs. Chad and I, in our, our real job, <laughs> uh, we run an organization for veterans and service members dealing with, with trauma related to combat and other things. And so often it's not the event, it's not the, uh, the combat, it's not the violence that causes the problems, it's everything that comes after that. And I'm afraid that what we're going to see in our law enforcement community is that. What is the impact to the mental health and the relationships of our men and women in uniform because of what they're living through right now? Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine that the suicide rate has jumped in, in a tremendous way in law enforcement. I mean, even before all of this, just going to work every day can create yeah. a situation where people have more divorce right. than, than any other profession in the country. You know, um, and when I was going through the academy, they told us that the average life expectancy for a police officer is like 53 years old. And that's after retirement. In many wow. cases, police officers just completely crumble and fall apart. One, because of all the stress that they've endured throughout their career. And the second thing is that they don't feel like they have a purpose anymore. And, and that's, sim that's similar to people in, uh, in the military. Absolutely. Feeling like they don't have a purpose after they serve. Yep. And then they go down the spiraling uh, path of destruction. But when, when you look at the hatred, when you look at an, an officer that has spent the majority of their career serving and protecting people, and now you got to walk around with your head down in many cases, and you can't even speak out to have a tremendous effect on the family. When you go home, how is your relationship with your wife? How are your relationships with your children and friends uh, going to be when it's such incredible stress from the job and then the external stress from what America has done to policing. So I think it, it has caused a, a huge problem. A lot of my friends that I know that are still policing, I mean, they are, they're at wit's end. Many of them have already quit. Uh, some of them want to quit. Uh, I've heard stories from individuals who have reached out to me that I don't particularly know personally that have said, look, I, I don't even patrol anymore. Mm. You know, I, I lay low unless somebody needs me, life yeah. or death situation. Other than that, I'm not proactive policing. And, and that's the spirit of policing. That, that tells me that people have lost the spirit right. of policing in this country, and, and it has a, a matriculation effect um, in a negative way on people's lives. Yeah. Wow. Ultimately, I mean, the people that are most hurt are the people in the communities. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, it's, it's just such a sad scenario. I, I think one of the things that, you know, from me just being an outside now looking in, is just the perspective that people just can't grasp what it's like to sit in a patrol car, to, to be behind that badge, to have to make momentary decisions uh, between life or death for themselves or people around them. And uh, I think for uh, it's really hard if you're never been in law enforcement, never been in those situations to really understand what police officers are dealing with. But everyone seems to try. Mainstream media <laughs> seems to try and uh, people in, in communities and you know people who are pundits against policemen, they, they tend to want to try to put themselves in, in the police officer's shoes and say what they would have done. Uh, can you describe some of the unique challenges that law enforcement uh, faces every day? I know you and I both know, but just for some of the listeners, some of the unique challenges that police officers might face. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Well, for, first I'll start with saying that uh, people have no idea what police do. They have right. no idea. Right. None. If you think you have an idea, you probably have no idea. Right. <laughs> you know, when I, I tell you what, the reason why I say that, because I was a private citizen at some point, and then I became a police officer, and I realized that cops do not explain it. Movies don't explain it. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an honest perspective. The Academy doesn't even explain what it's like to really have control, what it's like to really have to arrest people, really yeah. have to put your hands on people, fight, risk your life on a day-to-day basis, driving code three, um, which is lights and sirens. There's, there's no way to replicate that. And some of the unique challenges that people may not understand, it, just in my personal opinion, is the, the amount of turmoil and death that we see and then you have to turn around and be a normal person after that. Right. I will never forget the scenario um, in, in which I had to rescue a guy who had gotten shot in the head and half his brain was missing, but he was sympathetically breathing, meaning that he had a he had a sympathetic response, so we had to actually save his life. I mean, it's a long story. I can't get to it all, but we ended up having to rescue him with the canine dog leash to get him off of the ground because he was covered in blood. Wow. We threw him on the gurney. Some of his brain matter and blood got on my uniform, my face, and ended up having to run him a, a, probably a half a block to the ambulance because they can't enter the scene unless the scene is safe. And so I, I will never forget doing that. I had to go home because I had to biohaze my uniform. I had to wash my face off with this gentleman's brain matter on it. And I had to return back to work. And my first call that I went on was an elderly lady 
um, that had just experienced a, a burglary that was that was over, like 10 hours old. And I remember just sitting there as she's describing to me the things that have been stolen from her residence and me completely being spaced out. Yeah. Like I just couldn't forget what I just saw. And then I have to finish my shift and go home. Mm. And I've seen kids that have lost their lives. I mean, kids that were my son's age at the time, you know, lifeless at the hospital and all the nurses and doctors are crying and losing themselves. And then you have to just suck it up. You have to act like it didn't happen and you have to go on and start over the next day. And, and people have no idea what it's like to really be in that situation. And I'll give you another scenario just for the sake of argument. I, I, and this is one I'll never forget. And, and here's one thing is two things. One thing is that the streets and the locations that most people have had their first kiss at, um, that have that have take their family to, never look the same to police officers. Mm. Grant and the I-10, many people remember that path going to work. Grant and I-10 is forever changed for me. Every time I go to the Grant Road and the I-10 in Tucson, Arizona, I see a gentleman that lost his life at the hands of a drunk driver. And the drunk driver, and I remember watching his last breath, I, I had to check his pulse and he was gone. And I remember getting his identification and seeing his whole family in his wallet. And I mm. kept his wallet in my locker inadvertently for about a week before I was able to give it to over to evidence because it, it just, I was so mind blown at what I had just experienced and the hurt that I knew was going to come after his family found out that he was no longer coming home. And I, and people have, I guess I can reiterate this. People have no idea what that feels like. You can imagine, you can think about it. But when you see a person lose their lives, you see a father and you a father not coming home, you know, th those things stick with you forever. Uh, man, there's so much there. What, <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to go from there. I'll ask the question, what can individuals that do care, and I think by and large Americans care about law enforcement and those who, who serve us, uh, we're seeing the crazies, but most people do care, I believe. But what can individuals and communities, so that's two separate groups of people, uh, what can they do to support those in law enforcement, to show them they care, to support what they do, to encourage them as they work through some of the things you just described? Yeah, there's a, there's a myriad of different things. I know that the, the first thing that I'm going to describe is going to sound a little trivial, but if you just tell a law enforcement officer when you see them, thank you for your service. I, I remember how much it impacted me. You know, I'm a, I'm a tough guy. I'm in my uniform, so I'm not going to cry in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> but there are days where I was at my wit's end. I was at the end of the road thinking, like, I, I don't know what I want to – I don't know if I want to do this ever again. I'm sick of people lying to me. You know, the world is evil. And somebody comes up to me and say, hey, officer, I want to say thank you for your service. And I'm just – it all I, I just they just restored my uh, uh, trust and faith in humanity again. And it goes a long way. You know, there's also things that you can do for your local law enforcement um, agencies going to a certain precinct or substation and just giving them cards or sending them some food, maybe ordering some pizzas. Obviously, you can you can coordinate that with the, uh, the staff there. But right. those things were incredibly inspiring to us. Um, also, don't break the law. <laughs> you know, do, do what's right. That's simple. You know, if you get pulled over, be kind. Be, be respectful to police, and I'm sure you'll get it reciprocated. Um, and, and if you are out there and you love police, kind of like your son, um, join the police department. 
We need good people, good quality um, officers to join the police department to be an inspiration to others and also to serve their community. So there is a myriad of different ways you can get involved. Those are just a few that when I was a police officer was really inspiring to me. What, what are some things that community leaders can do to support their police departments? I know that's, uh, I'm in Southern California, so I'm actually in a city that has an incredible police department and people love the police department here, but throughout our state, that has not been the case everywhere. And some of that comes from mayors and city councils. What can community leaders do to support their police departments? Well, I wanna, I wanna add one more thing to the community. Don't vote in the counter interests of your police department. So mm. don't vote to defund the police if right, you are right. a citizen. That's one thing you can help by voting for the right things and voting out people who hate the police. That's good. Um, for the professionals or the what we would consider to be the, the city leaders, uh, mayors, governors, I mean, support your police officers. Stop giving lip service yeah. and saying how much you care about law enforcement, how you know how difficult the job is. Stop just running your mouth and, and just saying stuff that sound, that sound good and actually put your money where your mouth is at and start supporting them with your rhetoric. Start supporting them with funding. Start re- supporting them when things come out um, i.e. a police-involved shooting or an incident that is questionable, instead of jumping the gun and trying to be um, on the side of BLM and being woke, right. how about you wait till the information come out and right. ensure the public that your agencies are not hiring people that are not qualified. You're not hiring racist individuals. You're screening those people out yeah. and that if you find an issue, you will address it. But until then, restore the trust that the public has in law enforcement officers until otherwise um, something is presented. So uh, leaders can do that by rhetoric. They, they, they are the biggest influence in many cases to public opinion uh, when it comes to law enforcement. When you see a, a mayor come out and say, you know, our police department is infiltrated with racism and, and that's just cowardice and garbage. Yeah. And that hurts uh, law enforcement all over the country. Uh, yeah. one, one last question from me. You started with this, but uh, I'd love for you to circle back to it. Speaking directly to the men and women who are out there wearing the uniform, um, how would you offer hope to them? What would you tell them to do? You, you describe what they go through, what they deal with, uh, you know, how that impacts the relationships. How do you offer hope to those folks that are out there doing that? We need them. <laughs> we need good ones. Uh, how do we keep them out there and keep them engaged? Well, I, I just tell every, every law enforcement officer that I know, every off, law enforcement officer that will watch this, is that remember, it's not a job, it's a calling. And nobody's called to do this job unless they're qualified. Mm. And I personally believe that God has called you to be in law enforcement and he needs you to do his will. He mm. needs you to do what's right for the people. And God won't put more on you than you can bear. And that's just my personal opinion. If you're not religious and you're not a Christian, you can still, you know, take something from what I said is that you are in law enforcement with the purpose. Yeah. Serve that purpose to the best of your ability. And at the end of the day, when you've done all you can do, you can retire or you can leave that profession knowing that you've answered the call. So be encouraged. There's a lot of people out here that love law enforcement, including myself and, and everybody on this, on this, uh, this podcast, this show. Um, we love you. We appreciate you. You will forever be heroes in this country's eyes. No matter what the pundits say, no matter what the media say, the people know that you guys are heroes and you, you, you women are heroes as well. So keep the faith, understand that you've been called and serve that calling and and you will be rewarded in the end. Uh, Would you you agree? uh, And I I believe this to be true, but uh, would you agree that 
the majority of the of our country supports our law enforcement, despite all the rhetoric we hear. Yeah, if you go anywhere in the country and ask anybody about law enforcement, even in some of these inner cities where violence is running rampant and you see a lot of protests, if you go ask the average person, they'll say, oh, yeah, of course we need the police. Who else is going to investigate these crimes that that are committed against us? You know, so I think majority of the people um, at least respect the police. Um, There's many people like myself who have a bias towards police. I love police officers. I think they are heroes. Um, And so I think that the majority of people in this country at least respect the fact that uh, the police officers will have authority, that they have a tough job, and, and that they're doing what's right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think our police officers need to be reminded of that. Brandon, where can uh, people follow you and, and keep up with what you do? Uh, your website's amazing. You have a couple, um, and also your social media is pretty active. Where can people follow you? TheOfficerTatum.com. TheOfficerTatum.com. Uh, you go on there, you can find Tatum Report, you can find my merch, everything. All things Tatum will be on theofficertatum.com. That's awesome. Brandon Tatum, thank you so much for being with us, man. It was a great honor to have you on. Yeah, God bless you. Uh, my pleasure. Make sure you have me back. Yes, sir. Hey, we'll hey, do it. Thanks for everything you do for our country, man. God bless you. All right. God bless you. What an incredible conversation with Brandon Tatum. Uh, that was one of those conversations that uh, hopefully you felt the same way that I did, that we could have gone on for a lot longer, and I would have enjoyed every minute of it. He started telling the stories of his own experience, and man, uh, it's heartbreaking, while at the same time providing a window for us to see what so many of those in law enforcement are dealing with. Uh, so many wonderful things were said there. I want to sum up for you with today's situation report. Uh, the first part is this. We need to do our very best, as difficult as it can be, and as Brandon said, it may even be impossible, but we need to do our very best to understand what our men and women in uniform are dealing with. Uh, The various situations from sitting in the living room of an elderly person who just had some things stolen from their house to dealing with violence on the streets uh, and then going home and dealing with their own families. We need to do our very best to sympathetically understand what those who protect us are dealing with personally. That's one thing. Uh, Another point that was made, and this is a very, very important point and said so well, don't vote against the police. (laughs) Don't vote for policies, for laws, for things in your community and in your state that the police will have to deal with on the other side. Vote in ways that support law enforcement. That is so critical. And then the final point, again, wonderful things were said throughout, but the final point I think made so strongly was this. If you are in law enforcement, please understand and believe that in spite of the rhetoric, in spite of so much of what's happened in the last couple of months in our country, in spite of what the news pushes forward, the vast majority of Americans in all communities support our law enforcement folks, support what you do, understand the need, and are very thankful and grateful for what you do, for how you do it, and hold you up in so many ways as heroes. And we're grateful for the opportunity to talk about this. If you follow this show or any of the other shows that uh, the Mighty Oaks Foundation produces, You know that policing, police officers, first responders, your community is something that we talk about often and uh, something that we'll continue to talk about because to us, you certainly are heroes. All of that and much more is your situation report for today. Again, thank you for joining us. Always a privilege to have this time with you and look forward to talking to you next time. Have you ever picked up a towel set because it felt really soft in the store, but then when you got to use it, it's not very absorbent. It's basically a towel that's leaving you out to dry. That's why MyPillow has developed the MyPillow towels, towels that work. I know, it's mind-blowing, towels that actually dry you. 
Their six-piece towel set includes two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They come in a variety of colors, and right now you can receive a six-piece set for only $39.98 with promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on the radio listener special. MyPillow products all come with a 10-year warranty and their 60-day money-back guarantee. To receive this amazing offer on the six-piece set of MyPillow towels, just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener special, and enter promo code SITREP or call 800-870-0283. That's MyPillow.com, promo code SITREP. My name is Jeremy Stolnicker. I'm here with Chad Robichaud, and glad that you could join us today. Uh, Chad, we're jumping into a conversation around one of the stranger aspects, in my opinion, <laughs> of what's happening in our culture right now. Uh, this idea that we can erase our history, erase the past, and kind of create our own uh, past, if you will, is uh, really odd, but extremely, extremely dangerous. Yeah, listen, you introduced us, and you're saying that an ever-changing culture, and boy, is it an ever-changing culture. Uh, all you got to do is just look around, turn on the news, uh, whatever station you turn it on, you're going to see our culture is changing. And uh, uh, I don't know if we've ever been more divided. And there is definitely a politically motivated uh, effort to erase our history yeah. uh, in order to you know, push a narrative, uh, push a narrative forward and, uh, and, and ultimately – I think the agenda is changing our country for the worse. It's uh, uh, it's interesting. You and I both come from an institution, the United States Marine Corps, um, that values its history almost in a cultic way. <laughs> a lot of people make fun of the Marine Corps because of that, right? I mean, we, we know our history so well, our battle history and who did what, when. And um, so much of that history guides what we would call the ethos, the um, the warrior spirit of young men and women who are going through boot camp and going into the military and carrying um, the ideals of the Marine Corps forward into battle. And it really guides so much of thought and so much direction. Uh, I, I can't imagine eliminating that history from the Marine Corps. And, yeah, and, and we see that happening in our country, though. Yeah, as, I mean, as a Marine, as you study history and you, you plan and strategize for the battles ahead, you always look back, and you don't right. just look back to the victories. You don't look. You don't just look back to the, to, to all the wins and and, uh, and victories. You also look to, you know, the times that the Marine Corps, uh, you know, fell in their face and then had battles that they struggled. And you know, we don't like to admit it as Marines, but you know, some of the battles we, uh, <laughs> we, we <laughs> not every battle we came on came on the right side of. Right. And uh, so there's lots of lessons to be learned from both victories and defeats. And uh, and and that's the same for our country. We have a great country. We have the greatest country. In the world, uh, it's not even debatable. Uh, I know that people try to say we have a, we live, America is a terrible place right now, but it's not even debatable. America right. is the greatest country in history in the world. But that comes with both good history and bad history. And uh, and we can't only look at the good history of a country. We have to look at the bad history yeah. in order to move forward and continue to be the greatest country in the world. There's an incredible quote in George Orwell's book, 1984, that goes like this. Who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. I was reading that a couple of days ago, and in normal times, I would have just read right over that. But that quote jumped out at me in an incredible way because we happen to be living through a moment just like that. Uh, it seems like everything that does not fit the narrative that those who control the narrative want it to be is being erased. We look at names and statues and institutions that don't fit the political or cultural correctness of the hour, 
and it seems that the best way to control the future is to eliminate the parts of our history that we don't like. Even the Bible talks about this in Proverbs 22 and verse 28, where it says, remove not <laughs> the ancient landmark. Our past is important. It serves as the direction for the future. And yet so many in the culture war in which we're involved are seeking to eliminate the parts of the past they don't like. We have a guest with us today to speak on this and to help us really understand exactly what's going on. And this is a guest that, for most of you, does not need an introduction, but I will give him one. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West is with us. He is a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel, former member of Congress, currently the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, which you may want to speak on a little bit uh, even today, political commentator, and for the Mighty Oaks Foundation. He is on our board, board of advisors, has been uh, an incredible friend to Mighty Oaks, and uh, so thankful that he would be with us. Colonel West, these are crazy times that we're living through, and uh, it's, it's hard to really understand it all, but sometimes we need to step back and get some perspective, and uh, just so thankful you'd be with us to help provide some of that today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jeremy, and also Chad, and it's been too long, so thanks for lowering your standards and letting us Look, when you see what is happening in America, it reminds me also of a quote that came from uh, George Santayana, who said in the late 1920s, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So think about this, how all of a sudden we have this 1619 project that's being pushed by the New York Times, which basically says that the founding of America happened when the first slave ship arrived to these shores. You know, so let's just skip over the French and Indian War, skip over the Revolutionary War, uh, and and skip over that whole thing about a declaration of independence. America was founded because of a slave ship. And so that's the type of absurdity that is being taught uh, or proposing to be taught to our schools. And as you just so aptly said, you know, those who control the past will control the future. And those who control the president, the present, they have control over the past. And that's what you see is this revisionist history. Even this past week here in the great state of Texas, the Texas Historical Commission, uh, they heard arguments of about moving the cenotaph, which is the old memorial to the 183 that fought and died there at the Alamo over those 13 glorious days. They wanted to move it off of the battlefield site over to a reimagined uh, Alamo Plaza, which would put it in front of the Menger Hotel. Well, thankfully, the uh, Texas Historical Commission voted that down 12 to 2. But if it had not been for the voices of so many Texans, to include our lieutenant governor, uh, to stand up and say, we don't need to reimagine the Alamo. Right. We just need to do as those defenders, um, of the people that came after them said, remember the Alamo. That's right. Yeah. Right. Well, with all, all, I mean, all history, Colonel West, even history in the United States is made up of both good and bad history. So why is it important that we preserve and understand both good events of our past and, and those that aren't so good? Well, you learn. History is not there for you to like or dislike. It's there for you to learn from. And when you start to have people that are picking and choosing uh, what history should be retained based upon their own ideological agenda, then the next thing you know, they're the ones that determine uh, the state that, that you're in, your present, because they are manipulating the past to uh, what they want to see happen, their own desires and their own ends. And when I think about the fact that what really enraged me was when the uh, counterculture, woke, uh, council culture, mob, whatever you want to call it, when they defaced the monument of the 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment, 
not realizing that those were the first black men, you know, former slaves, free men who wore the uniform of the United States of America. They made it possible for myself to wear that uniform. Right. My dad, right. my older brother, and my nephew right now. So that shows me that they don't even understand. They don't know. They just went out there and saw it's a Civil War memorial, so let's destroy it. Or the fact that they tore down the statue of Frederick Douglass. The reason why Blacks were free from slavery is because it was Frederick Douglass, who was a former slave, taught himself how to read, and he became the chief advisor and counsel to President Abraham Lincoln, and that's the reason why we had an Emancipation Proclamation. So it just sickens me when people think that uh, any and all things that are related to a certain period of time have to be destroyed and not realizing what they're destroying. Before we jump into that, I'd love to talk to you for just a second about church. We all know how important church is, but things have gotten kind of twisted sideways of late. We all know that we're experiencing that. If you're looking for a church and maybe just an online experience because your normal worship experience is not available to you, check out the church that I attend, coastlineonline.org. It's a church that we've been attending for about 20 years. The music is great. The worship experience is incredible. The preaching is directly from Scripture. And I would invite you to come and be a part of that service with us, coastlineonline.org. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Yeah. A lot of the uh, a lot of the debate that we're so what you just described clearly I think most of us could agree uh, is not right. Men like Frederick Douglass, incredible American citizens, patriots who paved the way for so many others, they need to be protected. Uh, one interesting aspect of the debate is around men and women who really were on the wrong side of history. If there's <laughs> if there's a wrong side of history, uh, we think of men like Robert E. Lee, who um, by all accounts was a man of character, seemed to be doing what he believed was right, but was on the wrong side of American history. And we have statues of men like him and many other folks, of course. Uh, apart from just remembering all aspects of history, what do we do with memorials and monuments and documents and the names of buildings of these folks who um, you know, in many cases, weren't men and women of character. They really sincerely were on the wrong side of uh, what we would call history. How do we handle that? How do we navigate that? Do we tear those down? Do we remove them? Do we put them in a closet somewhere? What do we do with that? Well, I'm not saying that you go out and, and create Adolf Hitler High School. Sure. Uh, yeah. no, <laughs> right. Uh, Mussolini, uh, the college thereof. But, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and one of the great monuments that is right outside Atlanta, Georgia, is a place called Stone Mountain. 
And on the base of Stone Mountain, you have Jefferson Davis, you have Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and I believe Ulysses S. Grant. You know, that, that you know, engraving that is, you know, etched into the granite of Stone Mountain, that does not offend me. You know, as I said, I have never run into a Confederate general that offended me or was condescending towards me. Now, I can learn from what those Confederate generals stood up for. I can learn even as a military strategist some of the tactics and the battle plans that they use. But to try to erase them and get rid of them, I think that's the wrong thing to do. And even someone like a Nathan Bedford Forrest, yeah. should, we, should we celebrate him? No, but we should never forget you know, the fact that he was part of the founding of the Ku Klux Klan, the first domestic terrorist organization that sure. we knew in the United States of America. But guess what? If you want to talk about systemic racism, I will tell you that the party that was uh, part of the founding of the Ku Klux Klan have historically been the party of systemic racism in the United States of America, and they are also the party that wants to erase history. Right, right. That's a, you know, that right. kind of, we talk a lot about cancer culture, and you and I have had this conversation before. I just recently wrote an article on it. Um, I mean, cancel, this cancel culture uh, movement has really, uh, it's it's really to me it's got out gotten so out of hand. I mean I don't I don't buy into it at its core, but it's gotten so out of hand to where kids you know they're canceling things like Paw Patrol because because uh, they have police in it and all these just r ridiculous things. But you what you just said, uh, if you take the cancel culture standard and put it across the board, I mean the Democrats and you know uh, and some of the political candidates right now they should be canceled as well. I mean the Democratic Party by nature of cancel culture, the Democratic Party should be canceled because of their own history. Uh, and, you know, but here we are just kind of picking and choosing what things yeah. are gonna be canceled, uh, such as, you know, Thomas Jefferson who owned slaves and, and uh, but Thomas Jefferson also did some great things. So where's the line drawn? Independence, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's amazing because you hear students at the University of Virginia that want to uh, you know, disparage, denigrate, and demean Thomas Jefferson, take down his statue. Well, that's the guy that founded the university that they're attending, right. the author of the Declaration of Independence, the third president of the United States of America. So that's my concern about this picking and choosing, you know, what, what history or what should we, you know, leave up and what should we have remaining. You know, one of the things that upsets me is there is still the bust of Margaret Sanger and the Smithsonian Institute yeah. that is displayed. Margaret Sanger and her history, if you want to talk about racism, I mean, she was a white supremacist. She was a racist. She spoke at Klan rallies. She referred to blacks as undesirables and weeds. And she is the founder of an organization called Planned Parenthood. Yet I have never heard anyone of the council culture talking about uh, eliminating and eradicating Planned Parenthood yeah. or you know, taking that bust of her out of the Smithsonian Institute. So that's my real danger and fear is that this whole uh, council culture thing, it, it is, is an aspect of fascism because they're going out and they're making a decision about what they believe is acceptable history. That's the same as we see Antifa and other groups deciding what they believe is acceptable speech. Yeah. What can um, normal Americans like us who just want to move forward, who are patriotic, who love our country, who love our history, what can we do actively in the middle of everything that's going on right now? I know you just participated in a documentary uh, kind of outlining a lot of, uh, you know, the historical aspects of the black community. Um, a lot of things are happening, but what can we do to move forward and to help the cause of freedom and independence in American history move forward? 
Well, I think there are three phases. You talked about how can we get activated before you get to that phase of activation. You have to first and all be informed and you have to be educated. So I think what we need to really start doing is forming up small groups, policy issue groups, history groups, civics groups, whatever. Uh, and we need to start sharing that, that knowledge and we need to start discussing these issues because iron sharpens iron. And I think another key thing is for parents. Parents have got to get engaged and, and grandparents also with their children and grandchildren. I got to tell you, uh, growing up, you know, in the inner city of Atlanta, Georgia, with the two parents I had, if I were to tell them that I was going to go out and get into the streets and go protest, my dad would say, boy, get your butt back in here and, <laughs> you know, studying, you know, some, your math or your science or whatever. Right. So when we have seen the breakdown of the family. Then we see a lot of the things that were happening out in our streets the rise of gangs, the violence, the, the things of this nature. So I really believe that parents, first and foremost, need to reassert themselves in their homes. They need to remember what uh, the words of Solomon in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way that they should go so that when they grow old, they shall not depart yeah. from it. Uh, too many parents are ceding over their authority and responsibility to teachers and professors and what have you. So I think they have to stay engaged. And, and again, I think it's time for us to come together, especially young people come together and find strength in numbers and uh, sharpen each other and informing each other, educating each other, and then we can be activated together. Yeah, that's great. Uh, before we go, can you maybe give us a summary of what you're involved in right now? You've taken a, a move into the Republican Party of Texas, some of the other things you're involved in, and how people can follow you and support what you're doing. Sure, you can follow me at texasgop.org, uh, also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, I also have my own private page, Allen West Texas, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter there as well. And when you think about the 254 counties that make up the Lone Star State, Texas is so important. I mean, the 10th largest economy in the world, yeah. the United States of America is energy independent, a net exporter of energy resources because of Texas. And so goes Texas, so goes the rest of the United States of America. And so what you know, I've been doing is traveling all over Texas, delivering that message, inspiring people, making sure we're getting voter registrations up and we're getting ready to go out and participate in this election process. But I have to tell you of all the places I've been around since I uh, have started this endeavor to be chairman and since I became Came chairman, it was on this past uh, Sunday when I went to a Vietnamese for Trump rally in Houston, Texas. To see the people of the Vietnamese community, the people that know socialism, Marxism, communism, the people that lost their country to that scourge, and how they love this country, how they want to stand up and fight for this country, to talk to former South Vietnamese uh, soldiers, um, officers who had to flee that country, or else they know they would have been executed look at the small business entrepreneurs. That's the story of America. America is not about where you come from or where you were born. America is all about the dreams, the goals, the aspirations, yep. the desires that you have. And we've got to preserve that for future generations. That's awesome. Colonel West, as always, such a privilege and an honor to speak with you. Thank you for uh, joining us, and hopefully we'll talk more about this. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Yes, sir. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Thanks, sir. <laughs> As always, so thankful for the insight of Colonel West, an amazing American with an amazing perspective on America. And he brought up so many wonderful points, some very important things for us to remember. And this is today's Situation Report. Number one, we need to remember our past 
in order to guide our future. Uh, we forget how to move forward because we so often forget to look over our shoulder and consider the past. It is the past that helps guide us forward. This is an important point that was made. Secondly, we need to educate ourselves. Learn your history. We can see history erased and not know it's happening if we're not clear on what our history actually is. Educate yourself. Don't wait for someone else to educate you. Read, learn, understand, educate yourself so that you can preserve our history so, again, you know how to move forward. And then finally, remembering the past in so many ways begins at home. We bring up this point in one way or another often, uh, but a lot of this begins at home. Parents need to educate their children so as their children grow and as they learn, as they're confronted with alternate (laughs) truths, if you will, uh, they understand what is true and what is not. Remembering the past begins at home. Teach your children, train them up so they know how to move forward in a purposeful way. And that is today's Situation Report. Thank you for joining us. Always appreciate having you along, and we will see you next week.